0: My guest today on the Telstra Behind the Mic podcast has over 25 years experience leading technology-driven change across industrial and commercial environments. William Payne is the Chief Digital Officer of Mervac, a top 50 company and one of Australia's most innovative property developers. His appointment saw the group open a new digital division to drive the organisation's digital assets across multiple parts of the business. In 2019, Telstra Purple and Mervac started working together to transform Mervac's entire network infrastructure, with the key driver for this transformation being agility. Since then, they have reimagined and designed a scalable, agile technology infrastructure that enables Mervac to provide a better service experience to its end customers. So to explain to us more about how Telstra and Mervac collaborate on delivering this complex architecture and to take us on a walk down a geeky memory lane in our pre-internet world is the first ever Chief Digital Officer of Mervac, William Payne. William, welcome to Telstra Behind the Mic. Thank you, Adam. It's great to be here. We'll get to you and your role at Mervac soon. I want to go back because you're, you're, you're a CDO and I've done the right thing. I've checked out your form on LinkedIn and I get the impression that in unless perhaps you took a gigantic gap year, you, you, I think from when you started uni, I think we're roughly the same vintage. Now, I was a, I was a nerd myself at uni, did a bit of mathematics and all that, but the, the the path from where you were studying a Bachelor of Science Computer Systems Technology in the late 80s, first of all, getting you to uni, were you always a bit of a geek growing up? Yeah, certainly. And I, I,
1: you know, I love playing with things. I love tinkering with things. I love fixing things. You know, I love Lego. That was my, uh, you know, my thing that I loved growing up. So definitely more in that space than, you know, on the art side, so to speak. But, um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. So when I was finished school and wanted to go to university, I, I knew I wanted to do something in what was then really an engineering space. Mm-hmm. Um, But I wasn't entirely sure. And uh, I was very fortunate that um, the university I went to in London had this concept of a course where you could do, it was a four-year degree. You do the first year of all the disciplines in engineering. So mechanical. Shopping around a bit. Electrical, computer systems engineering, as it was called then. Um, So it shopped you around and, and taught you Different elements of
0: um, of engineering discipline, and and helped you then steer in terms of which particular area you wanted to deep dive in. But a fascinating thing, because when you're studying in '85, say, you know, computer systems and computer system technology, etc., you're not learning about the systems that drive the internet that we're all currently on, or underpin that app on your phone that you're currently using, even email would have been in its infancy as something that everyone had access to. So what vision of the world of computer systems did you get there? And did it already set you on the path that you're still on today? Yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating point as well, because um, you're you're
1: absolutely right. I mean, and the computers in those days were really designed around solving mathematical problems. Mm. And, and, you know, whilst uh, they were you know, certainly around in the business sense or the enterprise sense, but it was really just for, um, quite specific uses. And there was no real alignment between uh, studying how to program in, you know, Fortran and all these Mm, weird mm. and wonderful languages. Um, and, you know, and we learned effectively how to build computers. Now, I know a lot hmm. of it was around the electrical engineering elements that sit underneath it. You learn how to, um, you know, create an integrated circuit, you know, all this kind of stuff from scratch. So it, it was more about the concept of a computer and, you know, what it could potentially be used for when I was at university than actually what it ultimately ended up being. And But that that excited me. And I, I guess at the time, I could see the potential was enormous. And, and obviously the... You know the the home computer or the personal computer was um, launched. You know, not long or around that time, and 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 suddenly you could see. Hang on a minute, this is going to go bananas. So that's that. Really, what what excited me more than anything.
0: I, I find it interesting that t- today it's obvious to people that the digital technology computers are deeply enmeshed in our lives, and we know they must be in our workplaces and and the the places where we go to shop, et cetera. The reality is they're more deeply embedded in those places than most of us realise. Has that always been the case? You've, you've worked in a number of large organisations, you've bought know, rules Going back to the 90s, were computers and the digital technology, the best of the day, always deeply enmeshed in businesses? Or can you remember a time when it really did start to, to, to switch on and, and ramp up in that direction?
1: No, they weren't embedded in businesses, and in fact, you know, even to relatively recently, and I when I say recently, I would say within the last ten years, you know, we were still talking about IT or ICT,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and the IT department was in the basement of the building, and it was really seen as a a uh, you know a, a function or a capability that you had to have, you know, more and more of, but it was still kind of a back office thing. Mm. Um, and, and, of course, early days, you know, they were just, yes, people were using them to start to send emails and do spreadsheets just as much as they probably do today. That mm. was the, you know, that was the, the thing. Word processing was, you know, uh, you know a, a big thing as they, people migrated away from faxes and telexes to email and, and, you know, sort of doing their own desktop publishing, if you like. Um, yeah, that was a big thing. That was one of my first job was to, you know, implement word perfect and,
0: and move somebody (laughs) away from, from typing on typewriters. There's that great line in Beyonce's crazy right now where she says to her paramour, you know, your love's got me hoping you'll page me right now. (laughs) And just to think that she writes one of the biggest songs in, in, in that two week window where the pager was the way. You could go for a booty call. I, I, I love that. So when 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 does when does that transfer into it just being enmeshed into the? You, you can't have business without it. Now? Well, I think this
1: this really started to take off. You know, in in the nineties, and uh, you know, as business became more global, but certainly, and and I've been very very fortunate in my career that I've worked for a lot of global businesses mm. or businesses that have expanded globally. So some, you know, I've, for example, businesses that are Australian, born and bred and have then taken a step to go global and or businesses that were already global and and are based overseas. And, you know, as you start to expand your footprint and your, also your services and your customer base, the complexities start to drive that and started to drive that that desire and need to solve the problem with computers and software and so on. So, you know, if you think sort of through the through the '90s, early '90s, you had the whole ERP concept, and it transitioned into then, okay, now I want to get sort of bespoke type uh, solutions for particular problems. But you know, people people have been using. Uh, software that we're looking at today and going, oh my gosh, you know, you can, you know, you look at using AI algorithms to forecast, um, uh, you know, uh, whether it's predictive maintenance or, mm-hmm. or forecast, um, you know, uh, financial profiles and stuff like that. You know, in 1999, we were using AI algorithms to forecast when cash machines would run out of cash, mm. working in a cash and transit business. So, you know, people, what started to happen in the 90s is people started to go let's get let's really specialize this software to deliver genuine business value and you can imagine if you're running a cash and transit transit business to be able to understand and forecast and predict when cash machines are going to run out of money is massively impactful yeah. on your Business proposition on hmm. your planning, on your logistics, and, and that's so the cutting-edge technology at the time. Correct, absolutely. But you know, people now are
0: sort of going, "Oh, wow, this is amazing!" <laughs> yeah, you know, this is 20 years ago we're doing this stuff. So uh... let's fast forward now. You're, you're at Mervac now. It's a fascinating organisation, Mervac, because most most Australians would have heard of it. And people wouldn't be surprised to you know it's an ASX top 50 company. It's 20 billion plus dollar sized organisation. Most people have probably seen it plastered on building sites and thought okay these guys build stuff and you do but you do a fair bit more than that too don't you what, what the, the mission is reimagining urban life what is what what is mervac in 2020 2021 so mervac um, is and always has been about
1: the curating the built environment and in particular creating a legacy and when I say creating a legacy, it's really we see our role as custodians of the urban environment. And, and, you know, whilst we're here and we're doing stuff, we need to make sure that we create amazing buildings and amazing environments for the future generations. Um, so so Mervac in itself is, what we, is effectively an integrated property group. We uh, do everything from the conceptual design or even acquiring land and thinking through and planning a, an entire community, all the way through to designing it, building it. You know, we have an award-winning design capability. We have an award-winning construction capability. We have an award-winning innovation capability. Um, so we we design, build, and then we operate the the buildings. And and in some cases, that can be anything from. You know, making sure that an, that an office environment is is humming and working properly for the people working in it, all the way through to um, you know we've recently launched last year um, Australia's first build to rent um, mm. uh, concept, which is reinventing how renting is done, and and the service we provide there is is a concierge service. You know, we paint the walls for the uh, the customers. We the look after behind, their dogs. We yeah. <laughs> the idea
0: behind build to rent is you'll go and move somewhere. Planning to stay there, you know, indefinitely—not just until you save up and go and buy somewhere else. It's a sort of—it's—it's it's an reimagines the way people might interact with property.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, yes, and it, it absolutely does that. And also, it—it it takes away the pain points of you're at the mercy of lots of individual landlords. You're not. Mm. Mervac owns the entire building, and you can stay for. A year, you can stay for ten years. You can stay for twenty years. Mm-hmm. If you can have your pet, you can paint your walls. In fact, we'll do it for you. And on top of that, we're also providing fantastic community spaces within these environment: indoor cinemas or outdoor cinemas, in the one we're building in Melbourne, or um, uh, you know, uh, shared commercial kitchens, etc. So we're trying to create a community and the sense of community, and you know, and even the shared office space and stuff like that. So. Uh, you know, what we're finding with that particular project is the feedback from those who've moved in is extraordinary. Mm. You know, people are just going, this is absolutely fantastic. And, you know, thank God someone has done this at last and they've broken this cycle of rent So when we say reimagining urban life, we mean, you know, reimagining the urban environment, how we, how we live, how we work, how we shop in our environment because our retail
0: sector. Okay, so that's Mervac, yeah. and, and then you come along, and you get this. People use the phrase "perfect storm" a little bit lightly sometimes, I think. But then you, we've got we've got an organisation like that that works specifically in workplace, residential, and commercial, the built environment. Early last year, you get the the role of CDO sort of created that you step into. We've already talked about that cutting edge, you know, technological revolution that's happening, and then of course, around February March last year. Something else very big happens that challenges the very concept of where we work, how we live at home, where we do business, what business means, etc. So I, I want I want to try and tear all you know, take all that apart. Let, let's first of all, oh sorry, and against a backdrop of Mervac having committed to totally overhauling its sort of way it operates digitally. So let's take the the C word or the P word out of there for the moment, and let's just look at what Mervac was. Trying to do 2019 through to 2020, sort of overhauling its entire cloud slash digital strategy. What what was the aim, and why did Mervac need to do that at that time?
1: Yeah, look, it it you know Mervac started the what the, the transformation journey we're now on, um, you know, way back sort of start of 2019, and they, and they went through a process of of saying, look, we really need to rethink. We can see what's happening here in terms of our customer base is demanding different things and we as an organization need to be much more agile and and I use the agile word in terms of we need to be able to adapt and change and provide these, curate if you like, customer experiences that really just continue to set the bar. And Mervac likes to set the bar and we just wanted to continue to do that. So we went through a process, or in fact, I wasn't there. I went through, they went through a process in 2019 to think about what that might look like. And part of that, outcome of that was we need a chief digital officer. We don't have one. We have great IT people but someone needs to come and bring the digital element of this vision to life. So you've gone from being the boys and girls in the basement. Correct. To the C-suite. Correct. Nice. Correct. So, so um, you know, and, and the board, to their absolute credit, were really strong on this. They're saying, you know, we, we need to bring this in. We'll create a brand new role. It didn't exist. There was no CIO role. Like, literally, we're, we're creating a brand new role called a chief digital officer. And, you know, this is a, a C-suite level uh, role and... Um, let's go find someone. So that's that's ultimately how I ended up coming in. And and you know, to your point, I started on the eighth of March thereabouts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that date sounds familiar. So, See, so, I, I don't when when you say to me eighth of March twenty twenty, I don't instantly go. That's when William Payne started Murvag, wasn't Yeah, he
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so I had a full two weeks in the office before yeah. we uh, we went into lockdown. Um, but, you know, and I, I think the. So I went through a fascinating, and interesting enough, I've, I speak to a lot of people in the industry, sort of colleagues and, and peers and so on. There's quite a few people who started some pretty high profile mm. jobs around that time and went through that same journey. And we chatted to each other a lot as about, <laughs> you know, crikey, what are we doing? it? But, you in know, in a little Zoom yeah, self help group. Yeah, it was a bit like that. But, you know, the, the interesting thing was, you know, I came in with with we we have a uh you know we want to transform and and this was a really interesting thing so you know you you i spent my first 2 weeks there while i was in the office interviewing lots of people from board chairman of the board all the way down through the organization and you know it it was kind of we're going to transform you know we 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 need to be digitally savvy and you you said like okay what does that mean mm. and you know you kind of got three responses one was well it means we'll be what I call weasel words, efficient, effective, and operationally excellent, Mm. uh, which kind of means nothing really. Um, Certainly not to the people and how do you explain that to your customers in particular. Or you got the, well, we'll implement this particular piece of software and we'll put that particular piece of hardware in place. Or you got the most honest answer, which is not really sure. So, um, you know, one of the very first things that I did was um, uh, put together a very small group of people and over a period of, um, a few weeks, we defined the vision of what a digitally and or transformed version of Mervac would look like in two years time. And the challenge I said to them was, I said, look, right, we're all getting in the DeLorean. Mm-hmm. We're going to, um, set the clock forward two years or three years or whatever we're going to step out, and w- our job is to describe
0: what we see, not how we got there, mm. but to describe what we see. And in sim- in put simply, what is it? Because you use the word agility. Now, that's going to some people listening to this would agility to them means, okay, agile. If I'm agile in my workforce, that means I could work at any desk within the office. Or others would think agility means I can work just as well in my van as I do in the office. Or agility means I can stay at home and work at home as much as going into he- – but, but across an organisation, because you know, I presume you're talking both for your many staff within Mervac, but also, yeah, that customer set of people who live in your buildings or rent your residential properties or shop in your shopping centres. What yeah, – yeah, describe and that transformed world. And, it, and
1: uh, you know, that the agility means that for – and first and foremost, it means that – as the world, you know, of retail, transfer. So again, you step in, think about retail as it stands today. Now get in your DeLorean. Transfer. fast forward two, three years from now, step out. What do you think you're gonna see? Do you think you're gonna just see just shopping centers sitting there and everyone's still doing the same thing? No, I don't think so. And in fact, there's a, you know, there's a groundswell of change going on there in terms of the role of e-commerce and, you know, genuine sort of agnostic or omni-channel type environments mm. where it's seamless and people, it's all about the customer and the consumer experience. We're so spoilt now with our phones that that's the experience we want in everything we do. So, So agility means that as those consumer experiences evolve, which they will, as an organization, you're able to then deliver against those. And you know that's when you're you know the bulk of what you do is creating built environments. you know the built environment doesn't move at you know in 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 weeks and months. It moves yeah. in years and decades. So you know trying to think through what agility is like as an organization is is it's it's a lot about how we work with each other. It's about how we engage with the customers. It's about being able to work anywhere to to uh, you know uh, effectively. Uh, engage and interact and collaborate and think and design as a group in any kind of environment. And Of course, this was, you know, whilst you had the backdrop of COVID, I think this was something that was happening way before. And in mm. fact, it does lead to, um, you know, back to this concept of of the the piece of work we did with Telstra and and the Purple Team, which was to to lay the foundations. You know, we had a, a hodgepodge of. Communications and networking, and and uh, you know, very old-fashioned style environment. And you know, this the the team at uh, you know my team recognized that, sat down with the team at, at Purple and said, "Look, how do we reimagine this? Mm. You know, how do you reimagine this not just for today's problem, but for the future? And if you think about things like five G and what that's going to bring, and and." And you know how that's going to perhaps into interact with us as consumers and uh, and our customers, of course. How do we reimagine that? And that's that was the journey that we went on with the Purple Team. Ultimately, ended up in us just really completely rethinking the whole fabric of our underlying technology communications. Whether it was the um, uh, you know our ability to to uh, connect to the sites and the various uh, organisations. Or within our buildings ourselves, the, um, uh, you know, uh, communications amongst each other and so on and so mm. forth. So it, it, you know, that is absolutely crucial. And, and, uh, you know, thank goodness they did that because come the second, you know, the, the two weeks into my role, when the CEO came to me and said, you know, what do we, th- what yeah. do you think? Everyone's can, working uh, at home from well, five o'clock can we do this afternoon. Doing-
0: and I went, yeah, yeah, it'd be fine. <laughs> so let me, cause, cause, cause I mean, we, for, for for the nerds listening who want to drill down deeper about mm. how you deployed SD-WAN to 59 sites and your, your, your Microsoft Office 365 in the cloud now means people with completely different devices can share slideshows on purpose. That's all there for people to go and get get their jollies on, and I probably will as soon as we're finished. But what, what are the essential challenges when you're trying to migrate a large 50-year-old organisation that does deal in some ways in bricks and mortar and granite and isn't in some ways necessarily the most rapidly evolving organisation? What are some of the big challenges when you try and overhaul everything while keeping the the organisation still functioning during that? You can't just shut down for three months and say everyone come back on the 1st of April. What were some of the the fundamental challenges you faced there? Yeah, look, I I think, you know,
1: you hit the nail on the head. It's a 50-year-old organisation near enough, right? And your worst nightmare as a guy who is running a digital capability is that a large number of people in the organisation are, are engineers and engineers <laughs> like to, you know, and, and not only that, they are engineers, are building engineers. So they like to see, you know, where's your plan? Show me your, you know, this, that and the other, how's it going? I want to know in three, you know, in three weeks, two hours and 21 minutes what we'll be working on type stuff. So, you know, one of the big challenges was, you know, to get the, Trust and confidence of the business that we could migrate that over without disrupting mm-hmm. the day to day, and of course we don't want to do any of that. And you know, it's uh, um, whether you're talking about uh, you know dealing with the, our sales activities and making sure that we can't interrupt those, or even the operational activities that are going on around the business. So, gaining the trust and confidence is was absolutely critical, and and the team yeah my team did a great job but but this is where the concept of partnership comes into play you mm. can't you know you can 't do this stuff if it 's you know if you don 't have the backing and support of an organization who 's going to help you through that journey in particular one that 's been there done that right mm. you know hadn 't done anything for many many years Why, what would make them the experts in this kind of change and developing that trust and helping the organization understand it. So you you need somebody to work with you to do that, but who also who can bring the nerdy technical stuff, which is great, but most importantly, can also bring the change experience, can bring the, here's how you engage with the stakeholders. Here's how we can help give you the, the tool bag to give the confidence to the business. So getting that confidence is absolutely critical. And then of course, sort of systematically going through the process and making sure that you know, you really do have things carefully planned. You're able to to move things at a pace that um, makes sense in terms of nobody wants to do, be doing these projects for months and months and months. Mm. But equally, nobody wants to rush something and and have a old crikey moment and have to wind stuff back and so on. But because
0: I mean, yeah. the, the, the the other you know the other potential option there is to say, okay, security is a big part of this. Let's go and find the single best, world's best security provider to property. Yeah. We'll sign them up. Uh, communication's important. Let's go and find the bespoke perfect communication system. Boom. There's that option or there's the, like you've done with Purple, a single partner to take you all the way through. What's the balancing act there and why Why is the second of those two more attractive?
1: Yeah, look, hey, it's it's a great point. And, and it's always a balancing act, right? Because you really do want, you want the best of the best. And um, but you also have to balance it with connecting these things together, and it's it's about integration. You know we are we we know more than anything that by having you know design sitting on level twenty six of our office and construction team sitting on level twenty seven and the asset management people sitting on level twenty nine, that those groups are 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 engaging and intertwining and collaborating with each other all the time. We know the value of that integrated model in terms of what what is the outcome, the end result for the customer. So, um, you know, if you are able to find an organization such as, you know, forgiven the particular needs we had, such as the Telstra Purple team, who could provide that integration and say, look, we'll worry about how we connect and, and bring all these pieces together in a way that's, you know, that collaboration is happening in the background and then help you deliver the outcome you want. And, and you know, I'm an absolute passionate driver of it's all about outcomes. It's back to the statement I was saying before about you know those vision statements. Getting your time machine, come on. What I want you to describe is an outcome. Don't tell me how you're going to get there. Just describe the outcome, and then we will work out together as a team the journey to get there. Same consequence. Here's the same uh, in this case. Same outcome. You know, this is what we're looking for. Is is that, is that fundamental rethink, reimagination of the fabric of our underlying connectivity, communication, security, et cetera? Help us, you know, bring that's the vision. Now let's work together to work out how we get there. And doing that with two, three, four, ten different organizations is very hard and fraught with risk. And one thing we obviously want to think about is the rest of the organization and and making sure that we keep that continuity for our customers.
0: So as you've described it, even even that those challenges and that journey, in and of itself, coming in yourself halfway through this sort of process, resetting the big goals, large organization, lots of legacy systems, and a genuine let's evolve this organization and, and, and gain true value out of the power of technology, not just speed a few things up a bit quicker, not just double-sided photocopying. Let's genuinely evolve and innovate around this. That, that in itself would have been a pretty nice little to-do list. When the specific challenges of 2020 come in over the top, and they, they go to your key areas of business, commercial, residential, um, uh, and corporate, And and, and, and add it, was, did that just make it too big, too hard? Or did that add a certain sort of fascinating excitement to the process or? I, I, I'm going to be a little bit controversial here. I think it was a good thing
1: <laughs> because what it did is it added um, fire and passion and, you know, quote, unquote, an element of a burning platform to say, let's get on with this because, you know, what this has shown us is that things can change very quickly. The world is a fluid and constantly evolving place the, it's shown us the power of digital technology and all this stuff that, you know, we've dabbled in a bit of video conferencing before, you know, when I'm talking to, you know, to my mate in the UK, but but never in the, you know, mm. as a standard. I mean, you know, fascinating um, uh, anecdote is, is when I joined, um, we were... Uh, using a, I won't say which, but a a legacy video platform and everyone hated it and it was just terrible and whatever. Um, And uh, we were deciding to move to Microsoft Teams within the Office 365 environment. So we were just about to hire a change management consultant to build out the first six months of that gentle (laughs) migration program. This this was literally, Mm. you know, and I was like, stop. (laughs) You don't need to do that. Um, but then, of course, COVID came along, and the CEO and, and leadership team and myself sat down and said, "and I said, let's convert, let's convert over the weekend." So we're literally going to go from old environment mm. into Microsoft Teams this weekend, and and everyone's like looking like I'm mad. I'm yep. like, Trust me, yep. it'll be all right. And of course it was.
0: And everyone looks at it now and goes, gee, why would not we get a higher somebody? So so it's it's, COVID, a great, it's a great case study because a lot of people are describing COVID more as a significant accelerator correct. rather than a redefiner or a scorched earth moment.
1: Yeah. And I think it, it, it's, you know, COVID
0: has only seemed to really
1: accelerate and be a catalyst for change things that were already happening. Whether it's in, in the consumer environment or the business environment and and the social environment more generally, it's it's accelerated a lot of thinking. Now, of course, it's a tragedy in terms of uh, you know the, the, a lot of people have lost their lives hmm. and and you you know I think we live in to a certain extent a bit of a a bubble here in Australia because we are we have handled it so well, well very lucky. Yeah. And and you know I I speak to my brother in the UK often. And, and, you know, it's, it's really, really terrible what is happening in some of these other countries. So, but that, that to me just says opportunity, right? It says Australia has, has handled this well. We're in a recovery mode or, or looking towards a recovery mode. How can we leverage that? How can we leverage what we've learned and understood, you know, and, and in my, you know, my perspective in terms of accelerating that digital change, in terms of picking up on that, well, you know, and I I, uh, I have this discussion with my team all the time and, and you know, we've got a lot of programs and, and major initiatives going on at the moment. And I just said, I, oh, I'm just saying to them, don't, don't come to me with the change management book, playbook that existed 12 months ago, because that's been torn up. Hmm. And you know, rethink it, come at it from a different way. Think about how you can do things and leverage
0: on what people have learned and experienced. So that's that's really important. Let me ask you a couple of questions in in wrapping up more generally. So you've, you just talked about the international, you know, different phases of COVID and you're absolutely right. You've also, within your space, you've worked, as you said, internationally at some very large organisations and in Australia. When we compare Australia to the rest of the world in, in your space, what do we do particularly well and what's somewhere where we could work on to get up to world class standard.
1: Yeah, look that's uh it's a really interesting. I think we I I would argue we innovate particularly well as a country. I would argue we lead particularly well as a as a country and again I I look at the experience I've had of you know working and I've lived and worked in the US, uh, I've lived and worked in the UK and And, and in fact, I've worked all over the world, one way, shape or form in various roles. And so, so we do, we lead really well, we innovate really, really well. I think, you know, if there's something we could change, I think we need to bang our own drum a little bit more and, and recognize that. And, you know, this sort of stop looking to, to the East coast of the U S for, you know, for guidance and Getting on aeroplanes and sending, you know, directors and leaders to go sit down with Google and sit down with Facebook, we we can do all that stuff. We do do the, all that stuff, and there's some amazing um, innovation and and uh, and opportunity here in Australia that we need to uh, lift and and support. So as as you know, large businesses in Australia, we need to look to support the local and and create that profile, and and also recognise that. You know the the grass isn't always greener where you you know you go elsewhere. don't get me wrong. I think there's some outstanding capability overseas and you look at things like security in Israel as just you know next level and but you know we you know we do a pretty good job here the c s i r o were pretty pretty up there in terms of some of the stuff they. some of it is world leading and you know we need to. Do
0: more and, and bang our drum a little bit more. In terms of leaders listening to this podcast, I mean, you've, you've been involved in the transformation of multiple large businesses across your career. If someone's listening now and thinks their organization should go on the same sort of either uh, the adaptive cloud or the overall network evolution that you've seen Mervac go on in particular or other organizations, what's, what's the key bit of advice to starting that journey? Um, start with the end. So start with what it is
1: you're hop trying to Hop in the achieve. DeLorean. Yeah, hop in the DeLorean. And, and hop in the DeLorean with, with part, you know, people from around your business, with your customers, not with your techie people. Because you know, the reality is the cloud has made technology – unbelievably accessible. It's democratized some of the really complicated technical stuff that you used to. And there are plenty of organizations around, just like the the team at Telstra Purple, who can look after that stuff and help you with all that stuff. But what they can't do is help you with what at, what are you trying to achieve? So step number one is you need to hop into the DeLorean. You need to step out in two years' time and say, not what, you know, what does our technical infrastructure look like, but what does our customer experience look like? What does it look like as an employee of XYZ company when I come to work, when I, I'm accessing my, uh, uh, my systems, my material, I'm trying to do my job? How has my job been enhanced as a person? So you've really kind of come at it from that end outcome experience perspective And then you can come back and go, okay, how do we bring that to life? And then that's where the technical element comes into play.
0: Hop in in your own Delorean go to the future. Because you you would be exposed to a lot of the potential technology and and, and adaptations that are coming down the line. What is something that could be happening in the domestic or retail or workspace or something that you would think would be, wow, it's an amazing game changer? I'll give you one of mine to give you a bit of time to think as well. But for, for me, one of the technologies that's coming down the pipe that we don't hear anywhere near enough attention given to. We mustn't be far off having, in handheld devices, real-time, really accurate language translation. We mustn't be far off where I can just speak into my phone in English, and, and she will hear it in Icelandic, and it'll be accurate enough that it's effectively... It might lose some of the nuance if I'm reading Shakespeare to her, but just real-time language. trans That can't be far. And when, when that happens, when your mobile phone suddenly means you can effectively speak any language in the world, I, I just think that's a fundamentally different world where there is no effective language barrier anymore. That's my one. What's something you see floating around that could be anywhere? And we're not necessarily saying this is a policy that Mervac's about to no, institute, no, no, but, no, I but think what blows your mind? Uh, what blows my mind and And in particular,
1: because I've seen the amount of time, effort, and money being poured into it, which is billions and billions and billions of dollars, is the voice interface. Mm -hmm. You know, the world today still relies on um, pressing buttons, keyboards... You know, you, fat thumbs, fat thumbs on phones, um, and and even if you think about that in the context of our environment, you know, some you, know, you you have to press a lift button, and and you know to tell you the, the lift where you, you have to, you know, swipe in or swipe out. You know, this concept of of you have to think about what it is you're going to do, and you also have to know how to do that thing. So so voice as an interface is agnostic to. Dialect, to your language thing. It's agnostic to language. It's agnostic to background, to any of those things. So it opens up a world of possibilities in terms of how you engage and interact. And if you think about not, a, you know, so voice and, and then natural language um, interrogation and processing and so on, why do I have to sit down and work out where the, you know, start? Start email button is on this particular piece of software. Why do I? Hmm. Why can't I just say, "Hey, can you send blah 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 an email? Hey, can you open my door? Hey, can you let me know when this parcel's been delivered? Etc. 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 So, and it, you know, it's it takes away so much of the complexity. So, for me, that is the one that's that's definitely coming down the pipe because you look at how much effort is and money's being spent on it. And that will, that, will be, that will change everything again. That's mm-hmm. a game changer again, right? Because and then any man uh, or woman on the street ultimately can uh, look at, uh, you know, look at a, a situation or even better, their phone is working out the context of their situation. You don't have to open the app that does the translation. It knows that you're in you know, a, a different country, you're in mm. Spain. So it knows and understands, and and your device is saying, you know, would you like to speak Spanish today? And just to, you know, yes, okay, right, that's what I'm doing. So that's really the next step. All the components are there. It's just the use cases that are coming, and I think that will fundamentally translate uh, into huge
0: change in the way we interact with technology. Final personal question. I'm sure you remember in 2018 when you were placed number 22 on the CO50 list, uh, for the work you've done in particular, uh, implementation of Boral, cracking the CIO top fifty list, does your life just change forever? I'm, I'm imagining no more queuing at nightclubs, but paparazzi camped outside the front of your house. Is it? Is it an absolute game changer, William? No. <laughs> Sadly not. No, (laughs)
1: no, no. It's a, look, it's a, I think it's a great, uh, and, uh, you know, obviously very humble to be on the list with some of those other, um, great CIOs. It's a, just, it's a great way to also connect and, and interface with your peers. Um, it, you know, is, does it help your, you know, opportunities come your way? I'm, I'm assuming so. Um, you know, so, so, there's, you know, there's no harm in being called out as somebody who's doing great stuff. Mm. Um, you know, for me, it provides then also a, a sounding uh, platform to tell people, well, I, I'm very passionate about telling people about what we're doing mm. and I'm very passionate about technology. I'm very passionate about what technology can do for business and 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 really creating that genuine uh, partnership and strategic element to it. So anything such as the CIO50 who, who gives me that platform or could give me that platform is a good thing in my view. So what is your
0: key takeaway about that concept of partnership? We've discussed some of the tech details, they're all out there, but what is the key takeaway about the partnership between Mervac and Telstra Purple that that's made this work as far as it has now and is going to carry it into the future?
1: Well, it, it's about finding the right partner. It's about making sure that the partner understands you and what you're trying to achieve. What is that business outcome you're trying to achieve and understands your business. And, you know, and we, we've gone on, you know, my, my, uh, my boss, the CEO of Mervac, you know, has, has numerous and frequent conversations with the boss of Telstra and, and other, you know, uh, uh, top organizations in Australia. So it's, it's, it's getting the dialogue and the conversation going and having partners, um, and an organization, that, that thinks about the future and, uh, and what could be in a similar way to you. So it's about finding that, that right mix. And, and with us, that's certainly been the case with the, with the Telstra Purple team. And, you know, I see numerous exciting opportunities going forward, particularly when you start to think about the opportunity and power of something like 5G in curating our, our
0: reimagining of urban life. It's been a fascinating chat, William. Thank you so much for your time today. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Adam.